Andino Andina. The story continues. Tonya insisted on walking me to the seed bank, and while I didn't feel it was necessary, I appreciated the gesture. Taking into account I hadn't been able to see Risha clearly, the woman I had met the previous night had an aura of peace and warmth that made me feel safe in a way I couldn't explain. Like an old friend. Yet you can't remember where you know them from. A few hours later, my head swam and spun in equal measures after a wonderful evening. I'd learnt that Risha, in addition to overseeing the local seed bank, was also a keeper of knowledge and occasional teacher of human seeds. As I was getting ready to go home, I ventured to ask, You weren't just randomly walking last night, were you? Pues. Yes and no. It was good to be outside again after the storm, and I like to walk at night with the stars for company. It makes me feel more connected to the rest of the multiverse, if you know what I mean. I do, I nodded with a smile. She was speaking my language. Also, I ran into young Anna after you saw her the other day, and she said she'd met you in the post office. Her mother is my cousin once removed. I like Anna, unlike her mother, I'm sorry to say. So I like to keep an eye on her, too. Too? Aye. Anna is too modern, too clever, and way too independent for old Constantia. Never did anyone live up to their name more than Constantia. She likes things constant? She'd like for things to go backwards if she could manage it. Throwback genes, I call her. Never mind. Just my personal opinion. No need to take any notice. No worries. Your opinion is safe with me. I joked lamely. Risha, however, did not seem to have heard. It just irks me the way she tries to suffocate Anna's life. That's all. Anna is a good daughter that anyone would be proud of. Except her mother, that is. Anyway, that's all for today. Have a good sleep and come back tomorrow after ten with your questions, and we'll see if I can answer them. You can bring that clever husband of yours too if he wants to come, and the centre can spare him for one day, and I'll give you both a guided tour of the more, shall we call it, unique features of this place. Leaving the cottage next to the seed bank, I felt as if I was balancing a giant load of interesting information on a tray on my head one that was threatening to slide off and crash if I didn't focus and watch my steps mentally. I knew I'd be spending most of the night adding to my notes, not wanting to lose any of the fascinating story of the Andean Republic. True to her word, the following day Risha took us both for a guided tour around the workings of Cordoba. I kept thinking of it as Cordoba 2.0, seeing as we left the timeline we arrived on. Walking through the little town to our first stop, the brickworks, Risha did a brief recap of the previous night for Tonio's benefit. As I was telling Jackie last night, around the time of 1450-1500 on our timeline, the country was ravaged by a series of wars, and it was becoming apparent that there were not enough people being born and growing up to replace those being killed. Something had to change. If the people who lived in the mountainous region did not stop warring amongst ourselves, everyone would lose and our families would die out. There would be no young people to couple and bring the next generation into the world, no one to care for the elderly, 
no one to hunt or grow food. Added to that, there was also this new threat of invasion by conquerors from beyond the sea to take our land, even regions as difficult to access as ours. Up until that point, very few marauders had found their way here, and fewer still attempted to invade what they saw as barren and inhospitable land. If we wanted to continue to live in the lands of our ancestors, if we wanted to survive at all, we had better settle our petty differences and band together. After all, we, meaning the tribes of the Andean Mountains, had more in common than what separated us. Our cultures were not dissimilar. Most lived in pockets of various microclimates, and being on good terms with neighbouring villages and nomadic tribes were beneficial all around. Life was hard in much of the inaccessible land, but there was enough for everyone. Our languages were different, but that had always been overcome to trade and arrange couplings at the annual gatherings. A joint decision was made that warring had to stop or at least be suspended, to safeguard against our new common threat. Give up the bloodthirst or perish. And in doing that, the foundation for what would become the People's Republic of the Andes being birthed. Not much later, it was suggested and decided at the yearly council that a common language would help unite the many tribes, and the one spoken by the most people was weighed against the one most similar to most other tongues, the latter was chosen, and each tribe selected two would-be teachers to live as guests with the tribe in question for two years and then take that knowledge back to teach their own people, bringing with them a member of the host clan as a guest with each tribe to help teach and integrate. As you would have guessed, this built many bridges and partnerships and babies belonging in essence to both tribes being born. Fast forward to the present, we have kept the old ways of not owning land. Like our ancestors, we consider ourselves guardians or caretakers who look after it, not plunderers who rape and pillage. We aim to hold on to a way of respect for life, all life, something that has enraged more than one wannabe trading partner, especially in the last century or so. They seem unable to fathom why we are not willing to rip the resources they desire from the ground when they are offering us money for it. They consider us uncooperative, backwards even. To us, trade implies a mutually beneficial arrangement. There has to be something of value to both parties being exchanged, while they seem to be under the illusion that they are somehow doing us a favour by lining up buyers. Long ago, we decided to stay away from the kind of action that hurts or badly impacts an area where we live and that sustains us. Here it is frowned upon to take more than you need. It's unethical to rip Pacamama open and bleed her of her resources for no good reason. Those resources were put there by the Creator and greed is simply not good enough, especially if the consequences are doubtful or unsure. It may sound conservative, but you will find that we are on the whole a rather progressive nation, and we have got where we are by taking careful steps and keeping in tune with all that surrounds us. That's our secret, if you want to call it that. To this day, this grounding principle has allowed the Republic to hold firm and allow no other to dictate what to do. Quite a feat, don't you think? Tonyo and I both agreed. At the same time, 
the Andean Republic has opened its arms and extended a helping hand to those fleeing from less fortunate areas and conditions. Like I had been the previous evening, Tonya was a picture of rapt attention. Our technology was developed and intended for all to use, for a peaceful furthering of life, not to be handed over to others suspected of wanting to use it to get ahead. For that reason, our progress with solar energy has not spread. Still today, there is some serious commitment required if it isn't just to be a novelty for a few. The rocky and difficult-to-access areas, helped by serving as a natural no-man's land of its own making, with rather fluid borders. Over the years, there has been fluctuations, of course, there always are, but the freedom to be heard rather than ignored tends to disperse with most disputes. Remind me to elaborate on that later. Risha had stopped in front of a cube of a building. Welcome to Cordoba Brickworks. I thought we'd start here and then work our way back to the other side of town. Please, come on in. Having never been anywhere near a brick factory, I had no idea what to imagine. What I had not expected was light and airy. The surprise must have shown on my face, because Risha grinned and pointed at the skylights, flooding the whole building with natural daylight. The bricks being produced here were not your usual breeze blocks used in Mexico, for example nor the red or yellow bricks so common in England. These bricks were made with clay and local waste material, such as ground-up hemp, linen and corn stalks, making them inexpensive to produce, as well as naturally insulating and fungal resistant. Feel how light they are. Risha handed one to me and one to Tonio. It was remarkably light. I wondered how they would fare in a hurricane, when even conventional ones had on occasion been picked up and hurled at a wall or through a roof. I supposed if your number was up, it was up. In my mind, I decided to file them as earth bricks to distinguish the difference. I love cob houses with their soft shapes and individual natural look and have a real romantic attachment to at some point in this life live in one. I don't know if one can describe an environment with so much dust etc. as clean, but I will because that's how it felt. It took a while to figure out why, but then it occurred to me. There was no lingering smell of heavy industrial oils, like in an ordinary car workshop. The oil used for machine lubrication for the grinder and mixers were of vegetable origin. If anything, the air carried a faint trace I associated with popcorn in it, as well as hay or straw. Back outside, Risha continued the story of the creation and development of what had become the Andean Republic. All our technological and socio-economical progress is built upon a foundation of solar technology, she explained. Tonya lit up like a floodlight, and I could tell a thousand questions racing through his mind all at once, jostling for first position. I giggled. Risha must have noticed, because she smiled. You will get a chance to ask any questions you have later, and I will do my best to answer them. I will take you up on that, Tonya grinned. I don't know if Jack has told you, but I have a company together with a few friends called Sunroof. Solartech is still new for most Mexicans and prohibitively expensive. We are trying to change that. How's that for happenstance? You'll enjoy your stay here then, Risha laughed. 
I like how the Peruvian government is attempting to bring solar power to areas with no mains electricity. Back home, I mean, Tonio colored slightly. Yes, I mean, I hear you. Risha looked on the verge of saying something more, then changed her mind and continued. For now, it's safe to say that the Andean Republic is secretly world-leading when it comes to solar technology. Not this part of the country, I admit. But I'll introduce you to some bright sparks I know. See what you make of it. It is unsure where the early beginnings stem from. It's sort of shrouded in mystery as far as I know. One of the mysteries around here. Where did it come from? And when? All I know is it has been used for centuries and has brought advances in quality of life still unknown in your part of the world. It has allowed for a peaceful development of the area and the rest of the continent, which has made the Andean Republic a leader not only in solar technology, but in health and environmentally friendly approaches to building and agriculture as well. There are still some living in what could be described as relative poverty, but general health is good. In fact, it's better than in the north of the Americas, from what I understand. I haven't seen that much here yet, but I am willing to believe that, I nodded. One of the earliest developments was for cooking and baking, followed by solar-heated dwellings, which were the real power-up, and made former killer diseases like pneumonia a rarity here. No more did people freeze to death or risk dying from smoke inhalation. With the basic survival covered, step by step, the effort that had previously gone into warring now went into improving and building a future. All in all, life felt nourishing rather than an endless competition for resources. Slowly, the true people's governing body, as it was first called, developed guidelines and dealt with any unrest in the times that it arose. It listened and mediated until an understanding and agreement between the parties could be reached. Being heard rather than ignored quelled most uprisings, which generally stems from misunderstandings and a lack of open channels of communication, at least in our experience. Proceed steadily, one step at a time taking care to cultivate a way of freedom to explore, but within healthy parameters. Like balance with nature and respect for all life, Tonya nodded. There is always room to learn and grow and improve, Risha said humbly. To this day, life, especially in difficult-to-access regions, is local first and foremost, but it is improving all the time. A couple of generations later, with declining fear of the unknown tomorrows, catastrophes and fights for survival also resulted in a more relaxed birth rate. Now child and infant mortality has been low for over three centuries. To begin with, the trait of competitiveness had been funneled into games and sports. Very few these days have the winner drive to the degree needed to succeed internationally. Thus the nation has produced no world-class athletes. People play for the joy of playing, for the joy of feeling life-force energy move through their bodies, to spend time together. We do not push our young towards sports, but instead encourage friendly participation in life. Mindfulness is taught and encouraged from a very early age, and rewarded. The overall intent is for all to be brought up to live in harmony with nature, not to compete against it. 
You could say that the previous lust for wars has been encouraged out of our genes. Respect for all life was inspirited, and when you extend quality of life to include farmed animals, the result is less stressed meat, which meant less fear fed back into the humans. Yes, people still eat meat, but sparingly. Farmed here means raised on a farm, most likely a local one, where the animals have a good life in and out of doors, being well looked after and cared for. Anyone can see what's going on, and neglect and cruelty is not tolerated. Honouring, thanking and cherishing what is one day going to nourish you and your family, your friends and your neighbours, is a reality here. The less fear and despair you ingest, the less angry and fearful you will be, Risha concluded. I nodded. It made perfect sense. It also explained to me why so many in our modern world feel so powerless and despairing a lot of the time, when most of us have never had it so good. Such a shame, reasoning this radical, would most likely be rejected and ridiculed back in the, what exactly, real world? I settled for ordinary world in my head. You'd be mocked and dubbed the bloody hippie for suggesting it. As we reached the community centre, Risha suggested we pick up a snack and have a break. Back at the cottage, next to the seed bank, Risha filled the kettle and put it to heat on the eva. I arranged the kunyapes, another cheesy creation I intended to attempt back home, and freshly baked sweetbread we had chosen at the food bank on a plate. Fortified once more, Risha pointed out that despite what we had just seen, she would be the first to admit that the Andean Republic was not utopia. They had, however, gone to great lengths to ensure starvation was minimized by the creation of the local food banks, where those who had more than enough donated their excess and anyone could pick up what they needed. Some gave back ready-made meals, which made me think of takeaways rather than soup kitchens, and without the shame factor. Others donated ripe fruit and vegetables as it came into season. I was very impressed, and I could tell Tonya was too. There wasn't any hoarding or taking more than you needed. Overall, I could sense people here felt safer than someone like myself had growing up. You may not think of it that way, but from where I'm standing, I'd say you're pretty damn close, he said. Utilising and making the most of free energy changed the game, Risha replied. Only our holding on to what made sense in a changing world, has in recent times met with protests. The last hundred years has seen small eruptions of frustration. There has been criticism that we are not as forward-thinking as we would like to believe, that instead we are being held back from joining the rest of the world and the future. There are splinter factions that argue that the nation is being denied new technology and scientific discoveries made elsewhere. In the past, invaders came on foot, in recent years, it has been in the shape of mining corporations and foreign TV with its seductive advertising. It's a different world, that's for sure, Tonya said slowly. I watch TV sometimes, in a passive sort of way, when we hang out in the cantina, and none of it is real. They're just selling empty dreams. Yes, it's different here, and without the comprehension of what we have that you do not. Some dissidents refuse to understand how we have been ahead all along. 
how only time and years to come will show that when the rest of the world catches up. Not everyone agrees, of course, and that's fine, but they want brightly coloured foreign foods that do not go bad for years, to import cheap crazy fashion and plastic gadgets. They have no comprehension of how hard some work just to put food on the table and keep a roof over their head. Many of my friends work 12 to 14 hours a day, six days a week, and what for? Poisoned food in neon colours and never feeling safe and as if you have a future, Tonio said, shaking his head sadly. You're not missing out on anything when it comes to genetically modified food and cloned sheep. Trust me, I said, distressed by the thought of our ugly technology being introduced here. I don't know much about that, but I know one thing. The food here is something else, Tonio brightened. There really is no word for how amazing it is. I'm totally blown away, I said, happy for the turning conversation, away from what I viewed as a disease on our own timeline. I remember going to a retreat in the southwest of England, where all the food served was organic, grown in the surrounding gardens, or sourced locally according to season. It was prepared by people with a fierce, almost devotional interest in food, cooking and baking. I was amazed how nourished and alive I felt after eating much less than I'd normally eat, and by comparison feel lethargic and unsatisfied. Dinner at the retreat felt almost like a spiritual experience, and after I felt ready to take on the world and his wife, rather than sluggish and not wanting to get up. The food here is like that. All of it. Not only does it taste amazing, but it makes you feel alive, you know. I dread to think what my body is going to say when we get back home and go back to eating ordinary food. Risha poured more tea, but didn't say anything. At first, I didn't want to eat at all when I left the retreat, because my body felt so good, so clean and sacred. And that was just after three days. It was quite a shock, and I felt sad and strange when I eventually had to. It felt somehow disrespectful, as if I ought to apologize to my body for what I was putting into it. I felt sad after eating too, despondent, and because my parents never struggled for money, we ate quite well growing up, or so I thought. No one in my family were particularly interested in cooking, but my dad comes from a long line of people passionate about food and tried to instill some of those values and appreciation in us. I took a careful sip of my hot tea. I remembered how sometimes, when the mood took them, Mum and Dad would hit the local farmer's market on the weekend, if the weather was good. Then they'd cook dinner together. But most of the time, later in the week, things would go off in the fridge in favour of easy. They both had careers, and who wants to slave away for hours in the kitchen after a full day of work and commuting? Everyone's hungry and wants to eat and relax before bed, not eat at midnight and wash up later still. Mum always got together with her girls from university on Monday nights, so that meant fish and chips or pizza for us. Fridays were takeaway nights, Chinese or Indian usually. Thai came later. And yet you can cook, Tonio commented. Thanks to spending my summers with Mummy and my aunts in France, yeah. I'm a born observer, and I can't help picking things up that way. It sure removed any fears of experimenting, Tonya laughed. Well, yes, there is that. No one ever measured anything. 
You've met my friend Sasa, right? Tonya nodded. Sasa's mum is Italian. She's loud and scary at times, but she loves to cook and make homemade pasta with all the trimmings. So I watched and learned from her too. Stuff like tomato soup, sofrito and passata, and various other traditional things. Sasa's parents used to run a pub, but instead of the usual pub grub, they served pasta dishes in true Italian style. Low on fuzz, lots of flavour. Her mother's signature dish was a pizza made with just tomatoes, cheese, onion, two, three kinds of olives, and fresh herbs. My mouth watered just thinking about it. For a moment, I was fourteen again, sitting with Sasa at a small round table near the kitchen door in the family restaurant side of the pub, feeling all grown up with my sparkling mineral water and a slice of pizza. The patrons loved Sasa's mum, Eloisa, or Louise as the regular used to call her, with her big smile and raucous laugh, whether she was behind the bar or overseeing what went on in the kitchen. Quick to anger, quick to laugh. I closed my mental eyes, taking a moment to silently express my gratitude. The smell of grilled cheese, spilled ale and stout, and cigarettes, to me, would be forever associated with feeling loved and cared for, the way I suspect comfort food is for others. I smiled at the memory. I'm no aspiring chef, I just cook, out of necessity mainly, rather than any inspired interest, I said. Me neither, truth be told, Risha said, which is why I voted for La Colmina. She winked at Tonio, who grinned back. I just do it because living on your own, someone has to, but it's worth it to have your own space and to do as you please with your time. I prefer to leave it to someone who enjoys cooking whenever possible. She smiled. I grinned. It always cheered me up to find others who cherished having their own space seemingly as much as I do especially where it was not so common, and who openly admitted they did not enjoy cooking either. So, with your own brickworks, how come we're staying in a long cabin? I was curious to know. Pues, it's the cat's guest house these days, Risha laughed. My ears pricked up. I don't know why I was surprised to hear Risha mention the cats, but there you go. I exchanged a sideway glance with Donio. There's no need for a hotel in a town this small, so a communally owned house where guests can stay makes sense. It's old-fashioned so anyone can run it, as you may have noticed. A wood burner and stove for cooking and heating and all that. What you don't know is that it has a solar panel on the roof that heats the water and powers the fridge. It's connected to the town electricity grid and could easily be heated the same way as our houses, but, you know... Good point. I had wondered how come the fridge and water had worked as usual, but the lights and plug sockets had been off during the storm. The cabin was originally built by a Finnish couple some 70 years ago. They managed to stray here somehow. Goodness knows how they found us, especially back then. They built the cabin. Their minds must have been as open as their hearts. They were visionaries, not missionaries. I'm not sure they were ahead or behind their time, really. They brought the logs here, on a truck. Their daughter sometimes comes for a few days in the summer with her Uru husband, but most of the time she lives on a floating island on Titicaca. Risha shook her head almost imperceptibly, still amazed that an outsider would choose something so primitive and so culturally different, and stick to it.
The old man moved to Argentia when his wife passed, where his son and daughter-in-law had settled. Said he was missing the snow and skiing, but I don't know. I think he just couldn't face being reminded of her everywhere he went, including the cabin they built together. He followed his wife not long after. Nice old guy he was. And now it gets used as a guest house. It's very cosy. We like it. And so do the cats. Yes, the wood burner is mainly there for the old-fashioned feel-good factor. And during extreme storms, when the main's electric grid is switched off for whatever reason. But most of the time, it can all be run on solar power. I'll show you how later. I love the real fire, I must admit. It reminds me of my great-grandma's house in Brittany. Yes, it's something the guests can do to feel more relaxed and connected to the elements, I suppose. If they are old enough to know how to work it, Risha chuckled. Are you saying we're old now? <laughs> You're from the old world, let's leave it at that, shall we? I don't know, I laughed. Truth be told, I feel very old at times. Who doesn't, Tonio said. Ready for some more? Sure. What you got for us? Since you're both in favour of our food, are you ready to see where it comes from? Absolutely. Let's head up to the communal growing pods then. They are similar to those kept by most people in their back gardens, just bigger. Bring it on, Tonio jumped up. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Andino Andina is written, read, edited and produced by me. Copyright Liz Rosales 2014 and 2021